in very exciting times, and, and more and more we're being asked to dig a lot deeper. With me today is Jack Bernard, who is an expert on change. He's, he's the guy that you go to to change your way of seeing the world, to change how you, how you see yourself, to change how you see things and how you engage. He's been my speaking coach. He's a dear, dear, dear friend. And today we're going to turn the tables. He's going to interview me on the new book coming out, on the intelligence of the cosmos. It's a chapter that I have contributed to a book that's been compiled by systems theorist Irvin Laszlo. So, Jack, welcome to the Insight to Action podcast. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, that was a nice intro. I, I'm uh, Actually, I feel a little intimidated by myself suddenly. Uh, thank you. You know, here's the cool part. Everything you do in its own way is a testimony to and a representation of the possibility of business, of the new purpose of business. Now, I know that's the name of your chapter, so I want to get right to the heart of it, though, because you go straight into the idea that new science is here to help us somehow or another uh, both recreate and expand the purpose of business. So what is what do you mean by the new science? Well, the new science refers to the deep dynamic. It refers to both the visible and the invisible of, you know, if we look at it in terms of the map of consciousness, it's about what can we see visibly, but what's underneath. So specifically in companies, there's a deep dynamic that runs the the operation. And so when you understand the new science, so to speak, when you understand things through a much wider lens and, and both the tangible and the intangible, you get real insight into how to make better decisions and how to make change more effective because mostly companies now struggle with making change, transforming their cultures into something they can that can cope with um, what's going on in the in the outside world. Uh, and, and of course, they only get incremental change as a result. But when you understand the new science, uh, then you can start to see business in a completely different light in a, because it has a much more important role in terms of, of social health and, um, and also in terms of working with the big issues that we face together. So very exciting in that sense. Okay, so let's get to the heart of the matter. What do you say the new science is telling us about the new purpose of business, the expanded purpose of business? Well, for one, companies are fighting with low levels of engagement most, for the most part. And the, and the reason for that is that, that the goals that they have have just about zero meaning. I mean, no one gets excited about making the next quarter. But right now, when you've got such big issues that we face, you know, there's the effects of global climate change, there's social inequity, there's a lot of things going on in every country worldwide. And in each of those issues becomes a massive opportunity to make a bigger difference, to, to do what Google calls it, make it a 10x goal. So the new purpose of business then speaks to going from thinking small to thinking big and from thinking about you as strictly being a profit-making machine into a social driver for accomplishing a goal that you could never achieve on your own. So it does require the creative and a much wider spectrum of intelligences that people uh, in working inside companies and outside companies, the communities, can bring to the table. So it, it's, a, it's a massive opportunity to, to turn stress-related illness, which is company-induced, into something that is more like a creative contribution of talent. It's, it, there's a, it's a pivotal point we're, we're looking at right now. 
All right, let's jump on that because it, it seems like you're you're in essence saying two things, both of which I think uh, we need to understand. We being your audience and so forth. Number one is that uh, how does a company, if it starts to be aware of higher possibility, how does it start to move in that direction? And I say number two, what are the biggest obstacles to that for your average company out there? Well, the the, the, the big shifts are happening in many different ways, but for the, what, what ties it all together is, is switching to a, a values-based approach to decision-making, having a much higher goal a big goal to accomplish, one that, as I said in our last question, you can't achieve by, by working alone. So, so that's the starting point. But moving forward in terms of transformation, it, it, there, it doesn't matter whether you're a small company or a big company. It's, there's a, the, the, the shift is towards self-management. It's towards being a, giving autonomy back and giving the capacity for people to chart their own destiny while achieving a goal that's obviously relevant to the business to the business uh, purpose of the business and and the and the higher contribution it can make. So, so that's so. What I'm seeing now to answer the other part of the question is is the leadership challenge. Then is to let go of using tell, sell, yell as the management st strategy and going into a more sophisticated set of skills. It's asking much much more for for leaders. The second part that it's asking for is more of a systemic view. So when companies start getting get started. There's a desire for agility. Maybe they're using agile, or maybe they're using some other way of of, of organizing their processes internally. But the bottom line is that you're, you're working with short horizon cycles, so not long term. You're you're not working with a year's budgeting plan. It, just forget that. It's it's bringing into a shorter shorter horizon things. And one of my colleague um, colleagues, uh, Doug Kirkpatrick from the Self-Management Institute that Morningstar is a part of. In one of the podcasts I did, we talked about gamifying budgeting. And another one of my colleagues uh, wrote about not having budgets at all. What it means is pushing back on the overall system. So people drive it. That's the shift from processes and systems driving everything to people driving it. And as soon as you start making those changes internally, as soon as you start saying, look, we want you to work, you know, accomplish these kinds of goals, you're going to get pushback in a system. So this is where, you know, expanded consciousness, looking at the whole picture, being prepared for surprises. Well, what has often happened in the past when people have been asked to innovate and there's been surprises is they, they blame the people. That can't happen under these kinds of transformations. You, you, you have to actually recognize that, no, you're pushing back on performance management systems, you're pushing back on procurement, you're pushing back on budgeting. There's a bunch of stiffer systems inside that companies and, and people making effecting change are going to run into. So if everyone's ready for that, and everyone knows that's going to happen, then what you're doing is seeing these collisions as more of a symptom of change. It means you're on the right track, and what you have to now do is, is uh, uh, tackle those kinds of, of collisions with awareness that you've got to remove a bunch of barriers to getting things done. And that's exciting. So I have a question. Is this a management issue more than anything else, or is it endemic in the whole, the average uh, corporation, for example, do the people inside the corporation, do they have an intuition that things are need to change without maybe knowing how? Or is it management that's just stopping everything because that's how they get rewarded? 
Well, it's both. Uh, I mean, that that is part of the systemic interaction. Uh, executives are being rewarded for getting higher return to shareholders, which in turn means they do anemic and ethical decisions, which in turn means if they get caught, like they did with Wells Fargo in the United States, uh, they turned around and blamed the employees. And in the end, the, the, the executive got called up and and actually had to pay it back but that's unusual for the most part <laughs> they get away with it so so these are these are the kinds of places where yes the employees are aware they're doing something unethical they they know it's wrong and or they have an intuition that there's they need to be doing more i've met both i've talked to both groups of people uh, they have an intuition that they need to be doing more but they don't have the autonomy to get it done so you know, the bottleneck one of my colleagues in the United States has something called Key Hubs, and he does a little bit of an analysis of the hierarchy, and the pictures are would actually surprise a lot of management because they believe there's, they're the leaders, and yet the bottlenecks have big circles around those those management positions. So the big the big shift then is moving away from authority as leadership, confusing those two, into leading being more self managed self leading self leadership. Yeah, but doing it in cooperation uh, with others and working collectively with others. Okay, let's go to the book because this uh, basically is an alliteration of your chapter for Laszlo's book, The Intelligence of the Cosmos. What is the intelligence of the cosmos? And how does the cosmos, consciousness and the like, how does that have anything to do with, you know, we little humans down here just trying to do something important for the day? <laughs> well, Irvin Lasso presents a, a unifying view of consciousness because we tend to think of ourselves, we'll treat, treat ourselves and our, and, and our relationships like a, like a department store. You go for your, your brain because you, that's where you think you're going to find rationality. Your emotions are for expression and sometimes they're judged. Uh, you know, and your body presumably just carries you around all day, which is a happy job. So we're, we're, we end up being completely unaware of of the energy that surrounds us and of of what are the influences that impact our decision making plus our own purpose why are we here that grand existential question what is the meaning of my life and and so that's what he's doing in the intelligence of the cosmos my contribution was more practical because in my work in companies i watch emotions completely hijack decisions these were emotions from people that claimed they had no emotions and were rational decision makers. And simultaneously, you'd see rationality go sideways when any one of the 150-odd cognitive biases would step in. So we're deluding ourselves in a lot of ways. And what that means is if we can look at it from a much more unifying view, we can stop the delusion and get on with something much better as humans. So we really have the chance now, especially with the, the complexity that companies are facing, with the need to come up to speed. There's lots of research out there now on, on uh, businesses that are simply not prepared for the exponential change we're in. And the only way to become prepared is to become more of who you are as a human being. And we're so far just dancing around that. So great opportunities for us to become more aware of emotions, to work with them as an ally, as a navigational tool, to become more aware of how the what the environments are that we create for people to have to work go to work every day, and and uh, all of that goes with that. So I think with all of that knowledge, you've got a chance to make better decisions. So I'm going to be clear that I know what we're talking about. You're basically meshing 
the consciousness, awareness, spirituality, in quote marks, with the, the whole purpose, the premise, the mission of business. That's what it seems like you're doing. Uh, so having said that, uh, you would think that the way that it's been, which is that now and then a business will change if there's enough you know, pressure uh, kind of coming from the outside. And, and in other words, if the knock is loud enough and so forth. Here's my question. What's the biggest obstacle to that? I mean, what's the fear that gets in the way of companies truly taking steps up like that that are better for society, one, and two, ultimately better for them? What's the biggest fear? What's the obstacle here? I've, I've asked a lot of people that and, and watched myself what happens when people are asked to do something different. And consistently, the answer uh, is losing control. There's a, f- a fear of losing control. Now, what, what's hilarious about that is that, the, you, you know, in the, in the spirit of, of um, energy principles, which, which physiotherapists and, and um, understand that quite well, whatever you're afraid of, you will attract. It'll come in. It'll, you'll attract it. Sure. So what we're doing then is the idea of telling someone how to do what they've been hired to do has some addictive juice to it. But power over others, though, is not is not going to work anymore. It's just completely inadequate for making a fast response. It, you're basically suppressing, and this is how stress-related illness takes place, you're suppressing talent as opposed to engaging it. You gain control then by bringing it back into yourself. Instead of controlling others, you control your emotions, you control your interact, your responses, you shift how you see things, you change your perspective. You, you, you gain control over yourself. And, and that's how you gain control over all of the uncertainties that we're seeing today. It's, it's, uh, there were two women in the Mexico earthquake who died from heart failure, young women. Why? Well, because they hijacked themselves emotionally. That's a really extreme case. But in, in business, we see the same effect with stress-related illness, exactly the same. So the call then is to replace controlling others with trusting in yourself and with being willing to extend that trust to others. All right, I want to focus on something. So here we have business and look at looking at all corporate, all business, et cetera, as an entity. And over here we have society, okay? Ultimately, the relationship that has happened between the two up till now have been, they feed each other, it seems like. That's me saying that. You may have a different version of that. My question is, what when you think about that relationship, the relationship of the people, the hoi polloi, uh, and, you know, business itself, what has to shift there? Or does it have to shift? Yeah, no, this is a pretty exciting area for me. Because, and I think this is where we, we get to applaud. I, I certainly applaud the millennial generation because they, they are quite capable of seeing transparently into manipulation. So in the past, the relationship between companies and, cons- and consumers has been around manipulating their attention to buy a specific product that they are wanting you to buy. And, and any ad person will tell you that that's exactly what, what 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 the whole aim was however with capacity to see transparently into systems to see transparently into motivations and what what people are doing decisions that are being made are more value based so if you're not willing to work with me as a company if you're not willing to value who I am if I can't shape co-design with you something that's better for the world I'm not interested 
and, and I'm, you know, personally, from my point of view, when I when I think hear that kind of thinking going on, and see the kinds of decisions that young the millennials in particular are making, it brings everyone else who has this intuition that we could be doing. We we need to be sorting supporting business that's good for the world, business that's a force for good. So I think we're starting to see the big shift is coming from business that just you know survived, made unethical decisions, chewed up and its customers over making money. That that has no support in the new world. It has no support for simply because it's it's not only is it unethical, but it's also not supportable. You cannot. You, you can't you can't kind of wrap yourself around that. So I think the the big shift now is that people are getting increasingly engaged in shaping what companies will survive and what companies will fail. So if you look at the mindset of corporate, let's say up till now, up till your work and others, et cetera, the mind shift has, has been a whole lot about you know how do we get the most from the people out there? How do we make the most money? Blah, blah, blah. Not like every company is the same, but just to be simplistic. So what kind of mindset shift really is required? How are we going to change this? It's one thing to say this is what needs to be changed. It's another thing to say, and if if that changes, here's what will happen. It's a completely different game to say, here's how we do it. So how do we do it? It's a great question because, and this is what I do a lot, a lot more speaking on now, and also a lot more workshopping now. So, unfortunately, the, 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 the kinds of skills you require for this mindset shift are ones that apply to making better decisions in leadership. In other words, they've got multiple uh, benefits. But making the shift goes from starting with being aware of when you're operating out of fear. Most companies that are absolutely terrified are working with one option. And the fear of failure is high, so there's no experimentation. They're looking for mistakes. They're, they're, they're ferreting out mistakes and punishing mistakes. And then in the same breath, they'll be saying, would, would you go out and innovate? Well, you know, it, that doesn't work. So the shift then comes more to from, from that kind of fear of failure into, a, an underst- you know, an, into more openness to learn. You use the failure as your as an ally for you. So it's, it, it does require more emotional intelligence. It requires more social intelligence. And then you can actually start orchestrating that shift. Now, what's exciting about this for me is that when you start bringing in neuroscience, you, you change the language, the vocabulary that you use shifts. And so one of the things that, that companies talk about a lot is cutting costs. That's a fear-based language. And if you listen to that language with your emotions, your emotions will tell you that you, you shrink. Oh, gosh, does that mean I'm going to be cut next? So, so that's, that's not going to work for you. But if you move the language towards saving costs, how, how can we save money? All of a sudden, the world opens up and you've got much more opportunities in front of you. So it, it's very, being very aware of how specific words in the language uh, what they, that brings forward in in our brain, from a brain science point of view, but the body and your emotions tell you, give you the signals. They tell you what you know what the response is. The second aspect of it that I think is really important is about focus. And it's people say, "Oh, I'm I'm really super focused." Yeah, but it's not about whether you are focused or not focused. That's not the question. Are you aware of where you're putting your focus? Because when you become aware of where you put your focus, then you know when to switch it off and let your intuition show up, when to be able to hear the unsaid, 
and and you can also switch it on when you need to actually get something done. So you know the the focus part of it is not about am I or you know off or not binary switch. It's not off on. It's about where am I focusing and easiest way to exa- give an example of that is is there's a certain bit of publicity going on now for the awareness of culture in mergers and acquisitions which is uh, awesome but when you go into any places where two workplaces and two very different cultures start to collide you will see people's energy go to what's my place in this am i going to be okay w- w- what are they doing with people so the the right away the whole social energy goes to am i going to be all right am i am i safe psychologically emotionally financially all those questions pop up and so when you understand that then you can make your decisions to handle those kinds of emergent symptoms those emergent dynamics it's a very different stance from watching chaos unfold and folding your arms and then blaming the other culture or company for whatever happens it's which is something that's happened in the past. So those are a couple of different examples. One of the other big things from a decision-making point of view is that a lot of companies base their decisions on their beliefs. So we believe that if you don't if your purpose isn't profit, you won't succeed. That's absolutely wrong. There's no shortage of research that shows that if you pick something big, you're going to give a much higher return to investors. The Lamp Index I've been writing about them for a long time, since 2009 when we did podcasts. So we've got the research, B Corps are are about that, and there's a number of other different kinds of government structures and organizations and ways of getting things done that demonstrate that that, that that's an inaccurate belief. But but it's a belief nevertheless. So if you can can shift that to what do we value, and, and you can tell the difference between the two, then you can start to use... Though, you know, everything pops up as an opportunity to, to learn. Even the worst things pop up as an opportunity to learn. If Wells Fargo had stepped back and looked at the dynamic and how they those metrics created the outcome that they, they had to handle, they could they had in their hands a tool for really becoming an innovative financial institution. And it's almost like they looked at it and ignored it. I think I think this is where where there's lots of of opportunities just waiting to be seized. Well, I mean, Wells Fargo is a good example because they got poisoned by their leaders. Let's go to leadership for some. Everything comes down to that. We're still in a follow the leader uh, consciousness as far as society is concerned, both politically and in business and culturally, etc. So when we're looking at, at business and we're looking at the evolution of business and the upgrade of purpose for business, what skills? do leaders today need? There's, a, there's several that, that land on, in one area, but let's start with what we were talking about already, which is emotional responsibility and awareness. Because if you have a fear-based environment, you have a less chance to take the risks you need to take in order to survive as a company, much less innovate or anything else or engage. So being able to use your empathy compassion, things that robots can't do, <laughs> essentially, you have, and you gain access to intuition. So emotional responsibility and awareness is sort of like the prerequisite for being able to develop collective intuition within the, or within the company itself. And when, you've, when you get to that level, then you're, you're able to actually use the best of who we are as human beings. So that's big. And, and what that means for people, if you're listening to this, 
program, but what that means is simply being aware of when you're feeling completely contracted as opposed to feeling at peace and being happy in the work you're doing and feeling some level of satisfaction with the contribution. So even if you're being asked to make a very tough decision uh, and you've got, a, a, you can take a 15 second breather just to bring bring your heart into a state of, of coherence and the research on the HeartMath Institute is there to support this, you're going to be making better decisions. The next area is overcoming adversity. So one of the qualifiers, if you will, for the new leadership is if you've overcome adversity, learned from it, and become a better person through it, then you are well equipped to step up to a leadership role in, in today's world because that capacity for adverse, you know, handling of transcending adversity means that you've handled these tough issues, you, you've, you've gained a, a place in your mind where you know a good outcome or you believe a good outcome is in your direct control. It's not an accident that things turn out. It's because you know you can accomplish something. That is what is known as self-efficacy. That that's massive. So if you've been, you know, many of you have been listening to this who are have faced adversity. You've you've been in training, and that's exciting. You can now use that. I think one other area that we, we underestimate is the amount of courage and perseverance that's required. Because when you hear companies, when I hear people that are working inside companies like Wells Fargo or, or any other big old massive machine, traditional machine, they, they are going, yeah, I can see this and I, I'm dying to go to work. You know, it's, I feel suffocated when I go to work every day, but I'm afraid to quit my job because the benefits are too good. And or so there's this tension between what I want to do in the world and who I believe, you know, how I believe I can contribute and the machine, you know, and, and, and the traditional structure of the machine, which is, you know, very difficult. So I think if you're going to break through that, uh, and this is why boomers at the older age, the boomer executives are just going, yeah, I'm just going to wait till I get my check, my yep. retirement fund. But the young people ha have to make that decision around, do I want, can, am I going to, is this something I even want to do? And yeah. and if I go to be a startup, you're still going to you're going to need exactly the same skills I just listed. That doesn't change one bit. But the courage and perseverance to kind of stick with your vision, to stick with your sense of purpose, is absolutely critical. And it is without question, it gets tested regularly, frequently, and often. Yeah, we're coming near the end now. I want to go right to the heart of something. You know, there's kind of an elephant in the room here, which is the idea that big companies can't change, they can't transform, that it's impossible for them. Wells Fargo, a good example. I mean, they're right here in California, and yet the truth of the matter is, is that when you read about what they did and what they're doing about it, you don't believe either one, that, that nothing's going to happen. It's uh, Blink your eyes. Wells Fargo is going to be doing the next mortal sin. So let's go to that. The feeling that it's impossible for big companies to change, to transform. Obviously, you're saying that's not true. Yeah, I am. I mean, a number of change agents, my network in the change agent community is global. And, and we've had this conversation where, where some of us have been consulting inside these companies and you're looking at the mindset, like for you know Wells Fargo being case in point, and you just you think, okay, there's no chance here. However, you will come across companies that make decisions to be progressive without having to. They're they're not against the wall. They haven't hit crisis mode yet. 
And and so they're they're looking down the road, which means it's not a fear-based culture because in a fear-based culture you'd have no chance of being able to see ahead. So they're looking down the road and they're saying, how can we how can we do this better? And they're you know, for example, a traditional hierarchy, and they're saying, okay, we we need to shift. Well, the companies that have succeeded in doing this, large companies that is, have done so because they're they've done first of all they've 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 got a clear vision for what their purpose is in the world, what how they want to serve people in the world, their their customers, maybe it's society, you know, or bigger. Secondly, they they operate based on a set of values and they make their decisions based on that. So it's not the kind of posters you see that say this is our values, we're going to put that on the wall. No, they they live by their values and they're plugged into their decisions. So it is a principle that you can use to say, all right, you know, does this accomplish systemic health? for us. And if it does, then it's in. And if it doesn't, you know, you want to look at it and say, well, is this one a one-off? Or you, you make a different decision, but you make a decision with awareness. And finally, they, they're all working with self-managed teams. So a good example is Chinese manufacturing giant Tower. They've reinvented themselves multiple times, about 70,000 people. They have 4,000 self-managed teams. Those teams have autonomy, they have control, and as a consequence, Hire is one of the most innovative companies in the world, manufacturing companies in the world. Now, it didn't start that way, but it took a visionary leader to sort of say, look, this isn't working, and and uh, we're here to create, create something that works. But because they have these teams, their, their capacity for responsiveness is much higher than any other uh, you know, any certainly than it would have been a traditional, but it, it keeps them on the edge all the time as opposed to sitting back in the armchair with the remote in hand. Okay, we're, come, we're at the end pretty much. I'm going to ask you three or four questions. I'm going to ask you, if you will, just this is just to have summary to get right to the heart of the matter and give me no more than three sentence answers. All right, question number one is, how would you describe the situation that business is in today, the challenge that you're trying to meet? How would you describe it? The, the challenge that business has today is to adapt or die. I believe it's that bold. The statistics on longevity show that. I think it's a bold leadership place to be in. Okay, so how would you describe then, having said that, the new possibility, the new potential purpose of business? The new potential purpose of business is to restore some of the health that's been lost in the, you know, environmentally, ecologically, and socially. So big, big things like restoring social health, social equity, not small stuff, stuff that, that you really need to step up for. All right, what do you feel is the biggest block the biggest challenge that business might have in doing that? Their own ego would be the short answer. And because when I say that, I mean that the ego shifts from, uh, am I here just to survive, protect my place in the world, or at a higher level of ego, how do I trust working with other people to accomplish something bigger? Okay, and the last question then, when you look at what, the talent or tools that are necessary to make this happen. In short, when you get right to the heart of the matter, what's going to happen to make a shift for business in the way that it creates its new purpose in life? From a decision-making point of view, mapping the impact of the decision is the most logical place to find out that your decision goes places. It has an impact. Business has done very little of that and it's cost themselves a lot of money. There's a young entrepreneur in the Netherlands right now that's cleaning up plastic and valuable garbage that 
has been thrown away by companies. So that would be a logical one. The second one would be being able to step back distance from the situation and observe because that's the place, like if Wells Fargo had done that, they would not be down the path they're in. They would have been able to pivot. But you can't make those changes in direction if you're in the thick of the weeds. Bonus question. Are you confident all this is going to happen in your lifetime? I think that if it doesn't happen, these companies will not survive. I'm getting It's accelerating. Complexity is accelerating. I, I think it, absolutely. I think it's going to happen a lot sooner than people think. Okay. Thanks, Donna. Thanks, Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for doing that, Jack. I really appreciate it. And I hope people take the chance to get a hold of the book, The Intelligence of the Cosmos. It's um, Irvin's work is outstanding. He's always done an amazing job at making sense of the invisible stuff that some many of us have an intuition about but not able to frame it into uh, anything that makes sense so so i i um i encourage you to take a look at the intelligence of cosmos and jack i really appreciate you uh, helping me out with this <laughs> you're very welcome no problem it is fitting that we are having a conversation about Irvin laszlo's the intelligence of the cosmos pretty much a year after he released what is reality which was episode one of this podcast, the opening episode of this new podcast of mine, the previous one being The Evolutionary Provocator. This is the close of season one. We're moving into season two now. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for sharing. My name is Donna Jones. I'm your host. And what I do in my work is help organizations adapt their decision making to fit complexity, speed, and to help transformational leaders work with those and see those deep dynamics so you can make transformation much faster, much, much easier. Thanks for joining me.